Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring End of Life Conversations. I'm here with uh, Father Nathan today. We're very excited about the show. And for you, those of you who have never listened to the show with Father Nathan, he's on air every third Wednesday of the month. He's been a Catholic priest of the semi-contemplative Dominican order since 1979. Father Nathan has served as a campus minister at Arizona State University, the University of California, Riverside, and Stanford University. Currently, he lives in a community of Dominion, Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. Father Nathan has prayed for deceased souls since childhood and has helped stuck, soul, stuck and not-so-stuck soul cross for more than 23 years. After Life Interrupted 2 is his latest and third book. He has used his first book, After Life Interrupted, and his other book, Antoto 2, The Wizard of Oz, as a spiritual adventure as a basis for healing trauma retreats for spiritual groups and survivors of natural disaster. Father Nathan is available for speaking engagements and retreats, and he can be reached through his website at nathancastle.com and on social media. It's a, Hello. It's a... <laughs> The website is nathan-castle.com. Yes, nathan-castle.com. I got yeah. a little bit ahead of myself. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome to the show again, Father Nathan. Great to be here. Today, uh, Father Nathan and I are actually going to read through one of his stories. We thought it would just be a great idea to do this, and it really goes a little bit deeper into actually what he does and what it feels like. So today we're going to be reading about Rita and Afterlife Rehab. Father Nathan will be his voice for Nathan and the voice for Rita, and I will be Michael and Linda and the Angel Earl. So, Father Nathan, anything you'd like to say before we get started? Yeah, the, the, um, the story comes in a dream, and I write it down. Then when, it's, when I can, I get with prayer partners. This one had about a two-month hiatus between receiving the dream and getting with my partner's the, the partners are Michael and Linda, that we were doing this on a Zoom call. Um, and normally it takes us about 30 to 40 minutes to help somebody uh, do what they came to do that day. Okay, great. Okay, so with that being said, uh, we will get started with Rita and Afterlife Rehab. Happy Halloween. Today's October 31st. My name is Nathan. I'm in Tucson on a Zoom call with Michael and Linda who are in Pennsylvania. This morning, we will be at the service, first of all, of someone who presented a story in a dream on August 21st, 2020. Here is that dream as I wrote it down. I was with an elderly couple and their adult daughter. The daughter had a history of addiction and had stolen from them in the past. She had been through previous rehab stays they were fed up with her. It was in the days before Christmas, there were wrapped gifts. The parents were washing their hands of any future responsibility for their daughter. They were about to drive her somewhere. She had a Christmas gift in her hands and I awoke. 
I didn't write it down, but I had a feeling I was in an urban scene. It might have been San Francisco. There were Victorian buildings. So it was a city that's been around a long time. It felt like it was highly urbanized wherever they were taking her. She might have been able to keep a job. It seems she was living a single's life in a high-priced city. Michael. But they were driving, right? So this wasn't a pre-earthquake? It was recent in the last few decades. There was nothing period about it to suggest that it was long ago. Michael says, but you said Victorian houses. Well, San Francisco's full of them. Okay, says Michael. And they're all really close together. It has very little land. I don't know if it was San Francisco, but it was an urban scene. They were leaving what felt like an old apartment in an urban apartment building. They were on their way to driving her somewhere, but it was with the sense of frustration that they were getting rid of her. There wasn't anger as much as there was frustration, exasperation, fatigue, that kind of thing. And it was juxtaposed with Christmas presents, so there was a kind of conflicting energy in it. So I'm going to pause the recording and ask you to remind me to get it started again, because I'm going to read the story a second time. uh, This is a note, Nina. I routinely do this, do it a second time just to get it more in in my own heart. Got it. Kind of move from left to right, light drain, let it soak in. Yeah, dropping in, so to speak. And I record these sessions and then get them transcribed. So I pause the uh, the recording just because I'm paying by the minute. <laughs> so Got it. Okay. When I'm at a pause, there's no need to pay for that. Okay. Okay. After the pause. So this is Nathan. We've said our protective prayers. We read the transcript of the dream a couple of times. And now we're inviting a person who's in that story to come and be with us. You can borrow my voice if you'd like. You'll be talking with Michael and Linda. We're all here to help you. There was a a stirring. Yeah, that's in me. I could feel a stirring. This guardian goes by a nickname, Earl. Michael says, welcome, Earl. Linda says, hi, Earl. Angel Earl enters. And now my voice is that of Angel Earl. He's using my voice. It's good to be with you. I guard the one you will help today. I used to spend lots of time on this plane, so it's a little bit of a homecoming for me to be with you here even though you're in different places. We're aware of the approaching holy days of the saints and the souls. Remember, this was on Halloween. And we're with you in compassion for the suffering that you're enduring because of the pandemic. We're also aware of other tumult in your country. It's good to be with you today. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. Michael says, thank you for your compassion. Angel Earl again. The one that I guarded took a misstep that had very far-reaching consequences. You're familiar with the recreational use of drugs that seem to create something euphoric or happy or sometimes inclusive to be a part of the group. One does this, and before long, freedom is taken away, and in rushes all kinds of sadness and pain. She made repeated attempts to move against it, and I did everything I could to augment what she was attempting and what others were trying to give her for help. There were moments of brightness, but her story is one that has a lot of pain. But as you know, she wouldn't be here today were it not for progress made after her passing. 
she has been able to avail herself of help. And as you know, leaving behind the body with its chemical cravings has its own advantages. There are still things of spirit and of the current way of being that are still maybe knotted. You know that metaphor? Yes, says Michael. She has made sufficient progress. It's now two months in your time since presenting in this dream. But she's patient, and she has a great aptitude for receiving truth, which can be difficult for people who have gotten into a cycle of addiction because it has embedded in it a lot of falsehood. After a while, there's so much of it that people have difficulty distinguishing false from true. But she stands out in that regard. She can hear a true thing that's painful and difficult to hear. She can recognize that she wants to believe that false was true and now say, I was wrong. She has a humility that has made it possible for her to progress to this point. So with that, I will slide to the side and we'll see what happens. Michael says, thank you very much. All right. God bless you. God bless. And Linda says, bless you. Angel Earl departs. This is Nathan. She's moving in. She's telling me her name. It was spelled R-I-T-A-H. I think it was short for Margarita. She went by Rita, but she added the H for some panache, just to stand out a little bit from anyone else who had that name. Now, Rita moves into me, and even though she's a woman, it's my voice. I am Rita. Welcome, Rita, with an H. Happy to be here and to be of assistance, says Michael. Happy Halloween to you. I understand that it's Halloween today. That's correct, says Michael. I used to really like Halloween when I was younger and then in school, not just elementary school, but I liked Halloween parties as I grew. Of course, some of them involved alcohol and recreational drugs that ended up being my downfall. On this particular holiday, people who normally behave sensibly have kind of a license to do things that are unhealthy for them. But I was the recipient of lots of counseling resources, some of them the inexpensive, even free ones like AA and NA. So it's not so difficult for me to have the floor, introduce myself, and say that I'm an addict. Although in those particular movements, they were very intentional about saying, I'm a recovering and not a finished anything. That's right, says Michael. I'm told here that there's still growth and progress and stuff, but there'll be a moment in the not too distant moment outside of time that there's still progression. However it works, things still build upon other things, evolution. Here there is a point at which one doesn't have to use recovering anymore. I don't think they even say recovered. It's just that the whole nexus of concerns gets replaced by new material. It just doesn't need to be poured over any longer. And they've told me that I'm ready for this day. I've even gone beyond that part of the cycle of addiction that involves self-loathing. Part of that is kicking oneself for Ruining, ruining it may overstate it a little too much, but certainly darkening what might have been the golden years of my parents. Hmm. I didn't have children, but you might hope that your responsibilities lessen and that you get to enjoy some peace late in life. 
And maybe they did, but only in snatches because I kept turning up on their doorstep. I think it was mentioned in the story that I had stolen from them. And so there were all of these tearful attempts to get back in good grace and promise it will never happen again and all of that. I chose to tell the story of a particular moment when it was just days before Christmas. I think it was two days before Christmas and they had made a decision that I was not to be in the family gathering because it was just too painful for too many people. They had had a little dinner for three at their apartment for me, which was my little Christmas. I wasn't going to be included in the larger family gathering because I brought too much trouble to it. They were not unkind, but they were strong about boundaries because I had transgressed them so often that this time they meant it. They said, you may come over to our house for a little dinner and then a little gift exchange. Then we will take you home and wish you well. That's what this was. It was sad, but it was, I never liked the phrase tough love, but it rather fits. We're going to have a Christmas that doesn't include your addictions. So that was the scene there. I don't really feel the need to go into my death scene. I know that frequently people come in his dreams and show him car crashes or death struggles. It's enough for you to know that mine included overdose. Okay, says Michael. It wasn't overtly suicidal, although I've been around so many people in attempting to recover from addictions that the thought of suicide came to just about everybody because the pain just seemed so unrelenting. I did not make a decision, I know what I'll do. I'll take enough drugs to get me out of here. I didn't do that. But I slid deeper and then took a street drug that was, of course, unregulated and was more potent than the same kind of thing I'd taken before. You don't pay any attention to that when you crave a drug. You know that it didn't come from, I, I, I wasn't taking pharmaceuticals that were made like the, what are the oxy ones? Right, says Michael. It, it wasn't the kind that you could get at a pharmacy. These were drugs that were part of the underground pipeline of these things. So you knew that there wasn't some government agency hovering over it and measuring out its potency. You just, like once in a while, you'd hear, avoid that one for a while because it seems people are dying from it. Well, anyway, I took something that stopped my breathing and my heart. How long after Christmas, Rita, did that occur? Asked Michael. We were still in the winter. Okay. So somewhere in the next three months, I guess. Okay. I used that experience of not being invited to the family Christmas as one more poor me story of ostracism and rejection. Nobody loves me. Boo hoo hoo. It was cold and darker and damp. The weather matched my moods. I isolated. I had a job, but I was calling in sick more and more often. And of course, that got more and more problematic. Then when I did go in, it was chaotic and other people were covering for me. I was getting reviews that were threatening. And that's enough for you to know that it was a downward slide. Then when I left the body, um, I'm going to need to pause a minute to connect with him a little more deeply. Michael says, take your time. 
And, and here, Nina, I want to interject that it very often happens that when people go from one emotional level to another, this happens. And okay. they, they make a metaphor sometimes like screwing in a light bulb mm-hmm. or, or tuning a radio more precisely okay. to get a stronger signal. Yes. And we are, yeah, I understand that. Because I was always wondering about that part, you know, when they have to pause. And it's like, to me, it's almost like a, it, it's a deep breath to go to the next thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, to go to the next level. Well, we're really close to break. And I'm going to go ahead and have, uh, take the break now because we're going to get into a longer part on this. Okay. So let's go to break. And we will be right back to talk about the rest of Rita's story. Great. Right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, and we're back with Father Nathan and Rita and her afterlife rehab. So, uh, Father Nathan, you wanted to mention something about vibration. Yeah, very often when I'm in these, there comes a moment that's the most emotional part. People are talking about their death, after all. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll go from a kind of casual conversation to a deeper level, and they'll need to pause and go deeper. One person explained to me that each of us has our own unique um, vibration pattern, like a fingerprint. Okay. That and that, that what they need to do is study mine and make theirs conform to it more carefully. Okay. That and makes that, sense. And then we're, we're able to go deeper. Great. That okay. makes sense to me. Yeah, because when, when I was mentioning to you earlier, it's when you get to that part and the person says that they need to pause for a moment. And to me, I was always take a deep breath and go, okay, they're going to go in deeper. So. Yeah, and it doesn't usually, it, it really is a pause that's like a deep breath. They don't really need very long to accomplish what they need to do. It's, it's oh, sort of okay. like that. Anyway, okay, 
After she does that, Rita says, well, at the very end there, there was some very unhealthy male company and some sort of any port in the storm desire for comfort. And of course, that was with a person as druggy as I was. So in the immediate move out, I had some sort of story in my head about being rejected by a partner or a companion. But in fact, he was somebody that I'd only known for weeks and who was no more capable of a loving relationship than I was. But in the immediacy of it, I was angry that I was rejected once again. Then I went through something like hazy sleep, barely conscious to coming alert in a setting that was like being in a rehab. I had been in three of them, residential ones. And so some little space that was your own where you were monitored and kept warm and safe. And then with different kinds of therapeutics around you, different people trying to come at you from different angles to see if they could bring about some kind of healing. Well, it wasn't very long before I saw that it was being effective. This is in the afterlife now. Okay. This was different because I had watched people succeed in rehabs and graduate and move on, but I was usually left behind. Even in the times when I left rehab, sometimes it was because of money and health insurance rules. There would be an attempt to put a good face on it and say, look at the progress you've made. There might be some sort of graduating and hoping for the best, but not really driven by my state and my circumstance, but driven more by some deadline imposed by insurance companies or something, usually money. Over here on this side, that goes away. There's no shortage of resources and there's no time constraint. You simply receive what you're able to receive. You're not shamed that you're wasting other people's time and money. That was nice because I'd never been in any kind of rehab where that was a non-issue. It was always in the background that if you ever got your act together, you wouldn't be spending your parents' savings and annoying your employer and all of that. That all went away, which is not a small thing. So I was able to move through. They did some things with me that you might be familiar with because I think you know about near-death experiences and life reviews. That's correct. They can show you in a way that's almost entertaining because it's a little like watching a movie of your own life. It's well-crafted and it's true. It shows you this tiny little thing that happens. It shows you that this tiny little thing that happened over here began to grow. And almost like a weed that sends spores out and plants weeds in other places, this little thing that happened over here had this little ripple over there. And that little thing led to this thing. And before long, you begin to say, God, now I get it. That's where all this started. So some of it even has to do with genetics and physical things. Some of it's just emotional stuff, if you hadn't received that. For me, some of it was uh, taking to heart unkind things that people had said that were in childhood. Hmm. I didn't have to respond to it as I did, but I did respond to it as I did. One thing led to another, and before long, it was addiction. So anyway, it was nice to be in a place where people weren't guessing at what your problem was, because they do a lot of that in rehab, because they don't know any better. But here, there's just truth, lots of it. And people can say things and they can't be denied because there's nothing but truth here. Linda says, God bless you. And Michael, Rita was your guardian, Earl, with you the whole time? 
Yes, and sometimes more actively than at other times. He might be, there might be a conversation with several people, for example, about parts of my story. And I might say a thing, and he would say, that's your perception of it, Rita. But let me tell you what happened from my point of view. It's not just an alternate opinion. It's a truth. You know how oftentimes people who are on earth will say something very truthful, but then they'll add the caveat, that's the way I see it. That's not really necessary here when someone like a guardian speaks, because they don't say anything except they have a clarity that you don't find all the time here or find very rarely here on earth. So Angel Earl could change the course of a conversation that was too indirect and say, no, Rita, this is what happened. And this is what happened after that. Do you remember? He's always kind. So he wasn't just someone who contradicted your speech and made you feel demeaned. He would just say, Rita, you saw it that way, but here's how it occurred. And then I would, because I knew he loved me, I would just say, oh. And then sometimes that would be enough for the day because there was a truth that needed to be pondered. There wasn't really a need for more talk. Sometimes it was time to be still after he would talk. Other times he would just be an observer, but his responsibility was to always be with me. He was never absent. Thank you for that insight, said Michael. Yeah, well, I don't want to linger because I know you have another person to help after me. And I don't need to go into any more detail other than I've left rehabs before. That's largely what I'm doing today, except this one has a definitiveness about it that none of the others did. I am clearly graduating from one way of being to a next way of being, and they let me stay on a little bit longer than necessary. Then there was the two months passage from the dream until today. I bet it wouldn't surprise you to know that they said, well, you're pretty much packed to go, but while you're still here, could you assist this one or that one? So I was kind of drawn into a little bit of camp counselor sort of stuff for newer arrivals. Could I help you get situated and introduce you around a little bit? That sort of thing. So my time hasn't been wasted. I haven't just been twiddling my thumbs waiting for you people to show up. They gave me good work to do. They said, then it will be your turn to move on to the next place. Somebody will be receiving you and doing what you're doing now. Somebody will receive you in the next place and show you around and show you opportunities and possibilities and all of that. Rita, can you tell us more about Earl? Earl has played such an important role in your life up until now, but now that you're graduating to another realm, will Earl continue with you for a period of time, Linda? He's telling me yes, but that his role will shift. He really enjoys guarding souls upon the earth and that the bond between the one guarded and the one guarding is love, and that love is eternal. His love for me will not go away, but that he needs to be distanced from me in space. I think he's going to be given some sort of angelic holiday, some bit of respite or recharge time or something where he, at the end of it, will be involved in a process of assignment to an ex-human soul. I think that's the way it works. But for now, it's time for a passage and so I think that's where your skills come in. Michael says, okay, 
Is there anyone in particular, Rita, that you would like to call forth in conjunction with your guardian and all the other supporters there? A particular person who will help you make this step forward? Yes, but it requires one more bit of silence to move a little bit deeper in him. So excuse us for a moment. And can I ask you a question at this point, Father sure. Nathan? Uh-huh. Does when you, Do you feel that when he says a little bit deeper in him, so excuse us for a moment, do you feel that shift inside of you when that's taking place or not so much? Sometimes and not others. I just sit still. Okay. And I, it doesn't call on me to do anything more. It's really on the other person's end. Okay, got it. So Michael says at that point, he says, sure, thank you. And then Rita. It only needed to be a moment because I knew it would be Brenda. Brenda and I were only a year apart. She was riding a bicycle when she was struck by a car and killed when I was six. That was one of the events in the chain of things that brought unexpected sadness. It shifted family dynamics. And my parents were blameless in all of this. They didn't intend to have a child killed in an accident. But there was a period of time where they were so hollow inside that they only barely functioned. I was also grieving, but I had to do... I I don't think that people were taught in those days how to talk about their pain. I think if some of that came later. Anyway, there was a period there where it felt like I was in charge of raising myself, at least on the inside. There was clothing and food and a roof but a hollowness inside. What had once been a warm and loving home was cold and dark inside. She left quite a long time ago, and I've been coached into this and told, you know very well that everyone survives their death and that you don't have to be the same as when you arrived here. You can grow into a different version of you. Your sister Brenda doesn't have to be a seven-year-old accident victim. You and she can play at that if you choose, You could choose to be little girls who somehow move through time that was taken from you, but that'll be up to the two of you to decide how you move. But anyway, it'll be Brenda. At least that's what I would like. Okay, says Michael. So I'm going to be still and let it be known that I would like to see Brenda. If Brenda can come. We were made to wear dresses at that time. Girls hardly ever wore pants. We were only small, but we were already being told what was ladylike and what wasn't all the time. I think Brenda was quietly deciding that when she was bigger, she would be what she wanted to be and not what she was molded to be. So now she's coming on, but I think you call it, I think she's on an off-road vehicle. It's not a bicycle, but it's something that you would use in some wilderness where you roar about and make noise and kick up dust. That's what she wants to present, that she'd like to take me on a wild ride. Okay. So we're going to have to get reacquainted. I didn't know her wild side, but she didn't know a lot about me either. I know now, so we're going to go for a ride at least for a little bit, and that'll get me where I need to go, and then I'll take it from there. We hope you have a very wonderful reunion and a wonderful continued journey into the future. And God bless every step that you take along the way, you and Brenda, says Michael. 
Well, thank you. You've been very kind to me. God bless you. God bless you. Linda says, bye, Rita. And then Rita departs. And the first thing I do when I come back into my voice is say, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So, you know, one of the things that I liked about this, and and, uh, we'll definitely talk about the permission too, but I want to just make a couple of comments that what I loved so much about this story was how recovery is looked at in the afterlife. You you can actually finish. Yes. And it's all about truth. Yes. And just being honest about it. And I also really loved, you know, in the life review, she actually could see when the addiction probably started. Yes. Things made sense. And people didn't have to guess at what was wrong with her. I mean, you and I both do some counseling. And yes. we, lis- we listen carefully to the painful story that people are telling, and we try to discern what's the root of it and how can we help. But right. you're, always, you're always on the outside looking in, and there's always a guesswork to it. Yes. And, and apparently in the afterlife, the helpers like us would not have to guess anymore. We would know no. precisely what the issues were and how connecting the dots. Yes, and how Air- Angel Earl says in the most loving and compassionate way, this is how it happened, you know, and then she'd be, oh, you know, because she knows that he loves her and he's going to tell her the truth. That would, that was key there too. Where she said, he loves me and I know it's the truth. And it, it might sound discouraging for anybody that struggles with addiction to think, oh my God, addic- uh, more treatment in the afterlife. That right. doesn't sound like heaven. Well, heaven's truth and getting to live in the truth is, oh, it's so freeing and joyful. Yes. Um, and and, it, and they're not made to just labor away at some sort of afterlife uh, therapy thing. There's, there's also joy and play and other things. In this particular story, she chose to focus on kind of a treatment mode. But I know from other people that they're told, it's time to put this down and let's go play. Yes. And how Angel Earl is going to have a break. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be on some sort of uh, angelic holiday. She's yes, because he, <laughs> he took care of her for a very long time, and he gets a little break before he goes on to the next one. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'd like to, if we can, we're going to skip our second break and talk about um, how you get permission. Yeah. And the importance of that. So, so, the importance of that is that as a counselor, we have client confidentiality. So yes. it's important to to be able to get permission to talk about them on, li- on live radio. Sure, uh, or in, in the books that I've published. You know, I, I never tell a story publicly without first having asked the person's permission. I didn't know at first that that would be possible because I don't chat up the dead for my own amusement. Yes, and, and usually I have this one encounter with the person where I help them do this one thing, this passage, and then we're done. Yes. But then when I started writing and speaking publicly about it, I thought, well, that doesn't seem right unless I get their permission. And so I talked to them one more time just for that. Yeah. So what I thought we'd do is we'll go into Rita's permission. Hopefully we'll get through it, but I'll keep an eye on time and we can just kind of go from there and sum it up if we need to. But um, let's just start. um, Why don't we start with the spot where she just... um, Uh, where Rita says, it's nice to meet you. So 
on the second page. Okay. It'll give us a little more time. Uh, just so the listeners know, this time I'm with my sister, Catherine. Um, and um, she's a, she has a lot of spiritual gifts and she's not at all bothered by talking to someone who has died. She's quite at home with that. Yes. We might have her as a guest on next month, which I would love. Yeah. She's a lovely person. Good. We'll do that. So why don't we go ahead and start with when she's Rita says, hi, it's nice to meet you. Okay. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Catherine, nice to meet you too. I heard you were just reading over the transcript of my previous visit. Yes. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing so well. And that's the transcript that we just shared with your audience, by the way. Exactly. Yes. Now, Rita, she's again speaking through me. Well, since then, it hasn't been a long time, but obviously a new place, a new situation, and a colossal new start. For so long, maybe 20 years or more, really practically my whole adulthood, if it looked like there was a time when I was making a new free choice, it was always at least a little conscribed by addiction. I lived with a dark cloud of fear or worry about what might happen. That has lifted. So now I'm in a new circumstance where I'm being given all kinds of new opportunities and I don't have a poor resume. I don't bring with me concerning attributes that should make people wary about whether they want to engage with me or involve me in some common work. Right, says Catherine. Well, good for you. Well, I'm here because there's a question of maybe talking about or even reading what you just read on a radio show tomorrow. We, don't, yeah. we, don't, we only did this yesterday. Okay. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's correct. And you know, we don't do these things without permission. Yes, I appreciate that. That's been another thing that's been so nice on this site that there's always that courtesy extended. Nobody ever shares anything out of school. No one talks behind anyone else's back. No one says anything that isn't the truth. And if there's a truth to be told, it's always shared in a charitable way. There's never some sort of indictment. Nice. I wish people understood that better. So many people have an image or a fear of dying because they're going to be judged and found guilty and punished. And I would have had all that coming. If that's the way that it actually worked in my case, I could have been punished for decades of bad behavior of different kinds and the impact that my behavior had on coworkers and parents and my family. That just wasn't the way it played out. There's still a lot of reconciling to be done when people pass, but I'm told that, hey, look at you. You're going to get, they're going to get to deal with a version of you that they've never really got to see. They'll see it, if not at first glance, very early on. They'll get to see, wow, this is the version of you that we always wish we could be around. So the question is, would I mind my story being told in a public way? The only concern I would have is, would that harm anyone? Of course. If that's a concern, we can always use a different name if that would make you feel more comfortable. Well, I added the H to Rita just to be distinctive. So that might distinguish me, but there's nothing in my story that's untrue. There's nothing of it that's unkind toward anyone else. I listened as you just read back the transcript. And even though my parents used tough love with me in a scene that I chose to put in his dream, they weren't unkind. And I didn't suggest that they were. I think I said they established firmer boundaries than they had before. They explained themselves well. The fact that I felt ostracized was on me and not on them. Other people did have a right to a Merry Christmas that didn't involve the emotional baggage that I drug in. I don't think that's at all unfair. 
So if any coworkers recognized my story or anybody in my circle, of course, my circle got smaller because that's the way it works when you're in addiction. Relationships get deactivated because you're just too difficult or painful to be around. The oddity of it is what we're doing now, speaking through another person and dead people talking and all of that, I would imagine there's a certain percentage of the population that would not pay this one bit of attention because it's too odd and not of interest to them. There's, I guess, some who might think of it as of the devil. I didn't pay attention to that kind of thing, but I understand being inside him that that's sometimes a, con- a concern. Yes. I understand that the people that might listen to this podcast, is that what it's called? Yes, it is. A little radio program. A radio show, yes. That's sort of specific in its reach. Yes. I understand it's like a niche magazine. Only people who were interested in this very specific topic would choose to tune into it. Yes, that's correct. Sort of like on a magazine rack. There's dozens and dozens of things, but if you're not a bride, you're not going to pick up that magazine. Or if you're not a bodybuilder, you're not going to pick up that one. Right. And I guess this show is one where only people interested in the afterlife would find it to begin with. I think that's correct, yes. And then if it did find a life of its own after that, and if there was some sort of snowballing, I would just come back to the fact that it's true. I can't think of any, I'm not being disturbed in the afterlife. So if anyone wanted to say, how dare they disturb her in her eternal rest? Well, I think I've done a good job of explaining what my eternal way of being is. I just listened to it and it's truthful. I think the radio lady Uh, He wanted to give her options about different stories. I think he sent her, I'm inside him right now, and I think he sent her about seven to ten different stories of people that you've recently helped. Of all of them, she liked this one the best. She has a good heart. I don't know the lady, but I'm inside of him, and I'm getting his assessment of things. Isn't that sweet? That was so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) You're the radio radio lady. I am her. (laughs) Yeah. All right, back to Rita. She and he were only trying to help people broaden their imagination of what it might be like after one dies. A lot of people, uh, for every person who dies in addiction, there are 10 or 12 loved ones left behind with pain, wondering what's become of her. You know that in my story, my sister was killed as a child. The pain that sudden departure caused had such a long reach, immediate and then long-term. People can make of a story what they wish, but I told my truth. And I think it makes sense that life is a continuum to begin with. Even though abrupt death might seem very jarring and very, I think he uses the word interrupted in the title of his books. That's correct. But it's only briefly interrupted. Then the program resumes and life continues. The interruption was brief, like happens on television, because sometimes when there's something going on with the camera or the feed or something, the program gets interrupted a bit. That just happens. He watches a lot of sports. She's talking about me. I think it happens less and less now that it might have been earlier because of different technologies. But still, you don't have to wait very long before the program resumes. I died abruptly, but I needed rehab. I don't know what it would have been like to arrive in the afterlife and then catapulted into some Disneyland. Maybe it could happen that way. There's a lot of variety here. Maybe I could have just avoided understanding what had happened to me and why and why it had happened. But even the idea of that has a kind of falseness about it, a kind of false cheer or something. Cheap grace. I think that's a phrase inside of him. Cheap grace. It makes sense to me that I continued in a kind of rehab. 
the worst part of rehab on earth was the fact that you always knew you weren't paying for it yourself. Somebody else's labor is funding this. I don't have any control over whether it succeeds or it doesn't because addiction controls. Beating it was something that in the end I never succeeded at, even though a lot of resources were poured into that effort. But over here, that just went away. You were, you were talking about it just a moment ago that here, every incremental bit of progress never has to be repeated. One never backslides. It was always forward. I love that part. Sorry, I, I, do, was off I, I do too. too. And I've heard, I've heard this from other people that have had similar stories. It was always forward. Well, it wasn't very difficult to begin to get a sense of forward momentum and enthusiasm for whatever the kind of therapeutic work was because it was always so obviously good and productive. They could give you real goals, and then they didn't move the goalposts. Always the goal that was put before you, you could watch yourself get closer to it. You could meet it, reassess, and then they'd say, well, now that we've done this, here's the next incremental goal. And they would share everything with you. Sometimes these people in rehabs here on the earth had their own professional protocols. There were some things that they would share with you about what they're attempting to do, but others not. That was more of their professional privacy or Maybe it wouldn't have been wise to share it with you anyway, because you might not have been in a sufficient healthy state to fully appreciate it. The doctor doesn't owe you an explanation for everything they do. You trust their expertise and trust their goodwill. Here, everything could be shared openly. Well, maybe not everything, but maybe they might still have had some sort of, I don't know, professional code where they told me at least what they thought I needed to hear in order to participate well in the next part. But anyway, the long and the short of it is, I think it could be encouraging to hear that even if maybe people who are in addiction listen to this and can appreciate the struggles of failing at rehabs and so on, it can be hard after you failed and backslid and maybe lost a job or lost a relationship to find the will to get up in the morning and to get to a job and so on. Maybe there are people who are still in addiction here that might hear this story and go, wow, there can be an end to it. Maybe I'll try again. And then maybe people who have lost somebody to death from addiction hear this and think, well, I never thought of it that way. Maybe it works that way. And maybe she's getting everything she needs. Maybe we're not seeing the whole picture. We don't have to think only of her sad passing. Maybe we can. And then, then maybe people who never said a prayer to somebody that's died or said a prayer for somebody that's died because they weren't taught to do that could know that it's possible for you to help in the process. Think of giving somebody a boost, you know, trying to help somebody maybe climb a wall, cupping your hands so they can step into them and you can boost them. Right. Well, it's something like that. Maybe your well-wish or your prayer, however you form that, as long as it comes from a loving heart, you can think of yourself as an agent who somehow is supplying something for your loved one rather than thinking of them only with sadness. You can think of them and say, I don't know how you're doing it in the afterlife, but I have an idea because I heard this radio show that there's still progress and there's still effort. If I can be a part of your team, I want to be. Nice. I think that would be sweet. Yeah, I agree. I've been on other people's teams since I've been here. They even do that in AA and NA. Even though I never got out of addiction utterly, sometimes I was on helper teams to encourage somebody else. I never really graduated to the level of one of those sponsors who can be relied upon in the middle of the night. But here, I've been a part of people's helping team. 
Right. Well, that's got to feel good. It does. I li- And I'd like it to be known that after I did make the crossing that your brother and that married couple helped with, they said, let's not do anything related to rehabs. We think that you've spent enough time on that. You're free to do as you please. There's still an avenue open to you, but we would like to recommend to you that you take up a hobby, that you do something completely different. If you want to think along occupational lines, now that you're finished all that you needed to do, what would you like to be when you've grown up? Because you're there, you've grown up. I like that. So I'm not going to go into that any further because it's all so new anyway. I don't know. I don't want to say anything misleading because I haven't really made up my mind what I'm going to do next. They've let me know that it isn't so pressing that I have to make up my mind just yet anyway. I'm quite happy to just be in sort of an in-between that's not encumbered by fears or weightiness of any kind. That's beautiful. Congratulations. Well, thanks. You would have thought that an event as tragic as the death of a sibling on a bicycle at a young age, you would connect that dot with all of the other things that followed. I knew that there was a sadness story in our family that went far back. It was always a piece of things. It would show up in talkie therapy in a new setting. It would be a part of your bullet point notes that in her family of origin, there was a sister who died young. And so that would be touched upon. But here there was just a bit of, there was just a connecting of dots in a way that was undeniably true and that put me in a different orbit. Had that not occurred, my life might have had a lot of different things about it. And now some of that, now none of that matters except as part of a historical narrative. It's part of a biography that no longer leads to be even thought of with sadness. Because my sister's quite fine, and so am I. And so is everybody that I'm meeting now. I won't keep you any longer. The rest of it might just be a curiosity. I'm happy with my story being used. That's all I need to say. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Like you, I think that your story can be helpful to those who need a little hope. So thank you. I hope so. I understand that you've been a businesswoman of very many different kinds. I had the business clothes and the stature of a businesswoman. Although I would disappear, then, of course, at the end, was an unreliable employee and all of that. But I'm looking forward to that as one of the possible paths forward. Everyone here thinks well of everybody else. So you don't really need to be too concerned about how you're perceived and what your reputation is. That hasn't completely gone for me, and it doesn't need to. It's a thing that can be enjoyed being thought of, thought well of. For so long, I didn't think well of myself and thought people were right when they didn't think well of me because I wasn't reliable. When they thought I'd be an unreliable coworker, that was true. But now I'm looking forward to being a businesswoman who's free from everything that holds you back. I don't even have to apply for a job. I can simply say, I'd like to do that, and it will be there for me. I don't have to prove that I'm better than another applicant. Whatever resources I want for whatever I want to do, they'll be there. I don't have to say, oh, I wish I could afford to do X, but I don't have the means. The possibilities really are endless, and that's part of why I haven't yet opted for exactly what it's going to be yet. I'm still playing around with options. And then part of the time they're saying, there's all of eternity for this to play out. You don't need to get right down to this. You could just enjoy. I know that you recently went through the cycle of holidays, of Christmas and New Year's, even though I'm not upon the earth. My story did have a sad Christmas in it. They said, why don't you just enjoy a bit of a holiday? And then when you get back, the help will be there to help you think about what you'd love to do next. Oh, that's very nice. So I've already said I was leaving, but then I didn't leave. So goodbye now. (laughs) Well, God bless you and enjoy. All right. Farewell. I love that story. She's a delight. 
We just made it just in time. You know, it's the whole thing, uh, just reading it and looking back on it, what's so beautiful that I really got from it is that there is an ending to addiction when in the afterlife, she, she, you know, you can do what you want. You can be out of recovery. And it was just, it sounded so hopeful for her. Yes, but it wasn't just magic. Dying didn't solve the problem. Exactly. She didn't just die into a complete whole, altogether healing. She still had to take part, but it was lovely and encouraging the whole time. And I think, too, that, you know, um, to the audience that's listening out there today, if, you know, we recently had in our family a loved one that died from a drug overdose during this time. And I just think it's so comforting to know that they're getting the help they need. There's no pressure. There's no judgment. It's just unconditional love and and truth. And whether it's addiction or it's other kind of uh, psychological pain, counseling work, whatever work you put in, it's cumulative. Even if it doesn't feel like you're making progress, you are. Yes, that's true. And you could really see it. You know, I loved when we read her permission. She had a lot to say, you know, about how it would help people and she kind of she kind of had to walk herself through it a little bit and i have to read it fast because i knew we were short on time i know i know well this is just it's been a really great show father nathan i think that uh i'm looking forward to next month and uh just maybe we'll have Catherine on too and go and read another one it was really beautiful so thank you so much okay. for being on today and rita thank you so much for sharing your story sure and god bless you and all your listeners all right thanks father nathan bye-bye So we're so grateful to have this other show today. Thank you so much for being on here and wishing you strength, courage, peace, and hope. Today's a memorable day in history. I hope you're all feeling good about everything that is happening. I wish you the best. Good luck to you, and God bless you. We'll see you here next week. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.